0: Welcome to the Game Changers NFT podcast, a show that highlights incredible women who are changing the game. I'm your host, Yin Hin. The Game Changers is a unique web 3.0 project with the purpose of providing access to capital for women entrepreneurs, leveraging the power of NFTs. We are creating a dynamic virtuous cycle, art by women, featuring inspiring role models, generating revenue to fund women-led ventures and funds. Each episode we sit down with a game changer that makes part of our collection and every conversation is packed with personal stories, discoveries and lessons learned within the blockchain and beyond. For more information you can visit gamechangenft.com to learn more. Please enjoy. My
1: name is Michelle Abs and I'm a game changer.
0: In this episode, we sit down with Michelle Abs, the founder of Web3 Equity. Michelle started her career in education, and it's so clear in how effective she is as a communicator, as a connector, and teacher, while combining all these strategies within technology, entrepreneurship, and also education. We talk about Michelle's journey, and when she took the blockchain red pill, as I call it, to take a line from the matrix. And in just about a year, she envisioned, organized, and executed the premier NFT conference held during Miami Art Week that attracted over 4,000 attendees. She also ran an accelerator program for female founders with the number one school in entrepreneurial education. Michelle was featured in Forbes as a top woman in NFTs and named one of the top 16 most influential women in NFTs. Please enjoy this conversation with the force of nature, Michelle Apps. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the Game Changers NFT podcast. Hi, thanks so much. Really great to be here. So great to have you on. And I have so many questions about your incredible work as a game changer in the blockchain space. But first, I'd like to rewind your highlight reel all the way back and share with folks that your career didn't start in digital assets, but rather in education. So if you don't mind expanding on that first.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So after college, I decided to join Teach for America, and I moved down to Miami to be a teacher. And that sort of educator spirit is something that has stayed with me for a long time. So I taught fifth grade, and then I actually trained teachers throughout Miami-Dade County. And Miami-Dade County is the fourth largest school district in the nation. And so there's a lot of different pockets and parts of Miami that look very different. But one theme I saw across the board was that access to technology in different school settings was really a make or break for the outcomes for kids. After being a teacher and being in education for nine years, I then transitioned to an ed tech startup. And that's where I took my first step into technology and entrepreneurship after leaving education.
0: Can you describe the difference from your perspective of how different it is to teach kids versus teaching teachers how to teach?
1: Yeah, adult learning facilitation is a bit different. And yet there are so many similarities. And I think not to be condescending to any of our adult learners, myself included, but there are certain approaches and tactics that work for both children and adults. So making sure that people are clear on what the purpose of the learning environment is, nailing it down with the outcome that we're going to achieve within the time, monitoring progress along the way of how we're approaching that outcome and celebrating when we're on track and redirecting when we're off track. With kids, that might be a sticker chart with some stars. With adults, that might be named recognition of, I see so-and-so's really coming along and learning this with us. Lots of similar attributes and just engaging adult learners. There's a different approach to that, I think, to
0: make sure that you're meeting their cognitive level. Transitioning from Teach for America to the EdTech company, what was that experience like?
1: That was fascinating. I mean, I had been in Teach for America's ideology and value set for so long. And one of the things that organization focuses a lot of their time and efforts on is aligning their actions to their core values So culture and really tangible ways that we were aligning our culture to all of our actions was just part of our day-to-day life. Our meetings were set up where we would anchor and connect to one of our core values. We had done so many hours of training to unpack what each of those words meant. And then you transition to a startup, which is very fast moving. They don't have time for values We don't got to talk. We got to get this product out. We've got to figure out how to get more users on or the ones that are churning. Why are they churning? How do we bring them back? That was a big whiplash shift moment for me in my career of like, wait a second. We aren't going to talk about all of these cultural elements of our work. And I think that opened up an opportunity for me then. But it was certainly a different environment. It was definitely more male dominated and more of a, Masculine approach to work. So that was an adjustment
0: as well. And fast forward to March of 2022, when we're recording this, you have been featured in Forbes as the top woman in NFTs and named one of the top 16 most influential women in NFTs. When did you take the red pill, as I call it, to steal a line from the Matrix, my favorite? But when did you take the red pill in blockchain and learn more about the space?
1: I was always aware of blockchain and the power of that technology had seen actually some companies sprout up in the accelerator I ran and other folks in the Miami ecosystem. But it wasn't until a fateful phone call when a friend who has a blockchain company, an NFT company, called me and said, you know, at this point, Michelle, I know you work for a real estate developer and you have a really large convention center. Have you thought about doing a conference around the topic of NFTs during Art Basel? So it wasn't until that point, really, that I really went down the rabbit hole with this. And that was in July of 2021.
0: So it's been a very uphill run, a sprint, if you will, but a very quick learning curve. You are way too humble because the event you're talking about was so incredible. And you threw it together in such a short time period and had thousands of people attend. Can you share more about that?
1: That was truly a feat, I will admit. The vision grew. At first we were, okay, let's do just a small, you know, conference, maybe one or 200 people. And then that expanded. We ended up posting this at the FTX Arena. That's where the Miami Heat play. So a very large (laughs) venue. And we sectioned that off just to be able to seat the 5,000 folks that we had there. But that was a full 20-hour-a-day sprint for about 10 weeks. So we really went in hyperspeed planning that mid-September, and the event was on November 30th. We were defining what the learning outcomes were, what the sessions were, finding the right speakers for those learning moments, and We wanted to offer something that felt accessible to the general public. So the other folks that are seeing these words, but it feels like a buzzword. And we wanted to make a space where they could come and learn. And so approached it almost like a NFT masterclass, sort of starting with what is NFT 101 and scaffolding up from there. And over the course of the 10 weeks, booked 73 speakers, confirmed all of our sponsors. We had an activation area where NFT projects and different blockchain companies could really showcase the lived experience of their projects. That was a really fun element of the conference as well.
0: That's incredible. Well, for those who didn't know anything about you before, they can tell a lot more about you in the past couple of minutes in thinking about your background and how you just learned about the space last summer. And then ended up a few months later throwing this spectacular event in the FTX arena of all places with thousands, 4,000 people in attendance and some of the most well respected tech leaders. So, well, well done. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about Web3 Equity and Women and also Web3 Miami?
1: Yeah. So, after that conference, I started getting a lot of questions from friends. And I, at the time, was in a chat what we call an alpha chat. So we're sharing alpha of different investments to get excited about. And I did notice that in that chat, there were fewer females. And the inbound questions that I was receiving were mostly from female friends. And there was a little bit of timid approach to it. Hey, like I have these questions. They might be stupid questions. Can you help me? So I wanted to create a safe space where we could ask those that felt like dumb questions, but there are no dumb questions. We could ask them to each other and we could learn together. I started, it was Christmas Eve when the holidays allow for the pace to slow down and just started a group chat and started populating answers to those questions to a small group of friends. And then that grew and we saw a demand for more learning, both in the chat format to be able to ask the questions, but in person as well. Tonight, actually, we host our third event in person, which those experiences are very hands-on learning moments. So we surely get to network with each other and cheers with a glass of champagne. But at the same time, we pull out our computers and we go into the marketplaces. We examine different NFT projects together. And the name Web3 Equity is twofold because what we want to do in those learning experiences is achieve gender equity, where we really see men and women Represented in leadership, in creator roles, in investor roles, and founder roles equitably. So it's gender equity, but it's also about wealth redistribution and women having equity and a stake in the growth of Web three. I believe this blockchain technology is going to be the fabric of our day-to-day lives for decades to come. And the folks that are investing and that have a piece of the pie now will see the yield on the return for that for a long time. And I think we know when we get more money in the hands of more women, more great things happen. And so Web3 equity is to
0: achieve those two outcomes,
1: more women, gender parity and equity there, and then equity, money in the hands of women.
0: You also ran an accelerator program for female founders with the top entrepreneurial educational school. Is that different to Web3 Equity in Women or is that related?
1: It's certainly related in the sense that it's shaped a lot of the ways that I think about the world. I worked for Babson College, which is the number one school for entrepreneurial education. And they had published research. And that's the wonderful thing about higher education institutions is that folks really dive into the research component of that. So Babson College had unearthed these pretty dire numbers of less than 3% of VC funding going to female founders. And they had been publishing a report, and for about a decade, that number just wasn't really moving. The Accelerator program was meant to overcome some of the hurdles that they had distilled from their research, some of the main causes, but also just to connect really wonderful female founders with each other and establish that network of support and mentorship, That has absolutely really shaped the way that I think about the world. I think I observe gender imbalances a lot more now, having spent time looking at a lot of that research and also spent time trying to fight a very uphill battle of going from 3% to 50%. Like, How do we do that? And after years, we weren't making progress. And so, again, I think that's what gets me fired up about the opportunity of Web3 is that instead of righting the wrongs of decades of institutional bias that's baked into a system, we can start from scratch. We can build the ground layer up. Again, yes, Babson's research and what came out of that experience definitely is a part of how I approach everything now.
0: Going back to this group chat you talked about, the the alpha chat, and how you shared questions early on. What does that chat look like today? You know, What are some of the topics you discuss? And have they all followed you down this blockchain rabbit hole?
1: What's wonderful is that since we started, it's been a bit over two months. Some of the folks who were in the group from the beginning have really went full speed ahead. And then we've also added new members throughout. So now the levels range. And I think what's great is that You have some folks still asking some of the same questions we might've been asking each other back in December and early January, but now you have a larger group of people who can respond to those. Um, And at the same time, as much as people think even to be listed as one of the top female leaders in any of these places, we are all still learning. No one is expert. And I ask questions in that group as well. The wonderful thing about the group, I think, is that there are pockets of knowledge. We've got folks who are really excited about the Solana ecosystem, for example. And I haven't purchased a lot of NFTs on Solana. So I ask questions and get responses from the group there. So while a lot of us have purchased our first NFTs together through different things that we shared there, definitely saw a huge uptick in the amount of women that created their digital wallets after being part of the group. There are also still the beginners and asking those same questions. So now we just have a Larger group with a larger set of inbound questions
0: now. Love that. Well, going back to your history in traditional education and then ed tech, and now you've created this community of of curiosity, which I think is hard to achieve in the sense of making people comfortable, feeling uncomfortable, you know, and they ask questions around that. So only teachers, and I think good teachers, can facilitate that openness and that space. So massive kudos to you. And I love the subtitle you use to describe yourself. It is to dream up bold visions that scares the heck out of people (laughs) and then making them a reality. I think that embodies so much of what you've done in this community and for blockchain so far. I'd love to pivot to our signature game changer questions for those who aren't listening and don't know you as well. But what are you most excited about in the space today?
1: I think just the fact that it is so new. And so there's such a level of embraced creativity at this point where There really aren't any dumb ideas when people say, could blockchain technology do this? And usually the answer is yes. We might have to think through what that looks like, but I think that's what excites me the most. And so we're seeing people ask those questions. Can blockchain technology solve some of the bigger transcendental challenges of our world, of the climate, of politics and democracy? And We're seeing yeses to those. We're also seeing maybe things that don't feel as existential, but felt to the consumer. We're seeing places where Web3 can change there. The thing that excites me the most is just this particular unique moment of building and being really creative right now, because soon we will start having a lot of the foundational layers that are built on Web3. And then the radical ideas will be like, yeah, well, we tried that and that didn't work. Or, oh, yeah, well, this is actually the best use case for blockchain technology. Whereas right now, this is the creative moment to explore and figure out really what the boundaries of this are.
0: For those listening who are still intimidated or find the topic too complex, and they're just not comfortable yet trying but what has been the most surprising for you as you learn more and, and are getting up to speed in the space that may help others who find it too complicated for now and are taking a pause? I think that sometimes technologists get a bad rap where they feel like they're
1: off in their tech silo and they're engineers or developers. They're sort of so smart, like we can't connect with each other. That has not been my experience. And I think that's been what's enabled me to learn so much so quickly is that folks are so receptive to the curiosity that they are willing to walk you through some of the more basic things. Being able to ask the questions of what is the difference between the different blockchains? What are protocols versus blockchains? What are the nodes? What is mining blockchains really mean? Those questions have been very well received, I think, because There is an excitement on the technologists and engineering side that people will start using what folks have been building in the past. I think that breaking down the silo and connecting those two groups of people is an invitation for anyone who is feeling curious to just jump in, ask those questions, find the folks who will help you learn along the way.
0: Including you. So you've done... So much already to help me learn more. What do you think is an area of blockchain that is the most misunderstood?
1: First use case for blockchain technology widely understood was Bitcoin being used as a currency and being used as an unregulated currency. And at the time, some of the transactions that were being done were being done because they wanted to be hidden from the government. So those were more nefarious things. And I think that there is a bit of a stigma that follows cryptocurrency in general. And actually, when we pivot and we start talking about blockchain technology, I don't see that negative stigma as much. But I do think when you start talking about cryptocurrency in general, folks are still a little weary of that. I think that's a bit misunderstood. And also the difference between Bitcoin and a currency that's really used as a store of value, and then various other currencies now that have utility baked in, where you can purchase things with that currency that have different elements. So this is really where you get into the NFT world and you see currencies like Ethereum, Solana, Algorand. There's various metaverse gaming currencies where you can actually use the currency within the game. And that use case may be... It's quite different from Bitcoin, but sometimes can be misunderstood as if they are the same things and unfortunately might carry some of that negative stigma. So I think there's an opportunity to get even more clear with the general public about what those currencies are, what they're being used for. And the government is starting to come in and regulate these things a lot more. And so that can well, maybe some of the fears as well.
0: Gary Gensler, we see you, we hear you. <laughs> And for those who are brand new to the space and are listening to this and inspired to learn more, given your story and your journey and how you just started less than a year ago, where do you recommend they start? You know, Or there are there resources that you used and loved and recommend for others? But where do you recommend people learn more?
1: I think first, taking the orientation that it is going to take learning by doing and having the self-awareness of what kind of learner are you. Are you a visual learner and you need to watch a podcast? Are you an audio learner? You can listen. Are you a tactile learner? You need to watch the YouTube primer and do it while you're learning. So first self-awareness check, which type of learner are you? And then finding the one that aligns. My learning journey, I had to understand it philosophically, like really high level first. And Gary V and many of the podcasts that he had done He spent a lot of time explaining the potential at a really high level. I learned a lot from those. And then the more tactile how-tos, I found Upstream, which is a community platform. So there is an opportunity to sort of learn and talk to people while you're learning. But there's a great hub of videos and resources there. I'm also a fan of Coindesk, the articles that they publish along with NFT Now, the folks who run that podcast, I think have done a great job of interviewing folks and again, breaking things down to be able to learn by doing. Now there are a lot of communities too. If you're exploring, joining into a community, often those communities have their own how to. So if you are looking to mint your first NFT, usually on the page, it will say, are you
0: new to NFTs? Click here. I encourage any and all of those resources. Oh, what a great list. I'm trying to write it all down as fast as I can, but I'll I'll just rewind and 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 listen to it again. I also love how you started that answer, which is being self-aware and understanding how you learn. So I love that. It's a it's a really great teacher response, but just to know your learning path. Love that. We mentioned this in terms of a game changer, a woman in the space, but one of my favorite quotes is from Sally Kraczek, who's an executive within finance and investments. And she is, well, she did an interview a while back. And the question that was asked to her when she reflected upon her career, what the question was, did it hurt you or help you that you were a woman in finance? And she answered yes and yes. And I love that answer because it's both, you know, and so I wanted to ask you something similar to get your perspective of what it's like to be a woman and a game changer in the space.
1: I agree with Sally. Yes. And yes, absolutely. I think There are certainly times when there is a list of the top women in this, and certainly we have an ability to shine in those ways. I also think that the broader community is more receptive to the fact that you need diverse voices, you need diverse decision makers in places. I think there is a bit more of the awareness when they look around the room, oh, wait, we're missing some voices here. Who do we call? And I know that there are times that I have been invited into spaces because of those reasons. That certainly has been a benefit. And yet the pain points have also been very felt. The approach to working and being and feeling safe and comfortable hasn't always been. The lived experience has been like there's certainly that toxicity That can come into play in what's sort of encoded as the tech bro culture. And that has been really challenging where it's made me retract and feel, okay, how do I maneuver here in a way? Or do I just need to actually remove myself? This is not a safe enough environment for me and find the places where there are groups of people looking around the table saying, we're missing a voice and we would like to invite that voice in and finding my place there. So
0: definitely agree. Yes and yes. As you were looking to navigate your own educational path and learn more, did you have a mentor or role model in the space that helped guide you?
1: Gosh, I have so many. I think it's a lot more friends that I think we noodle on things together and people who are receptive to those questions. I mean, the gentleman, Will Weinraub, who is the CEO of a company called Cryptoys. He has been a wonderful mentor and resource and someone who I can call up with, hey, what do you think about this idea? There's also women who have paved the way in this space and who have believed in me along the way. I think one of the first people to sign on and agree to be part of the conference that I led, Elena, who's on our fashion and NFT panel, and she was the one who really opened my eyes to understand the potential of DAOs, what those can stand for. She's also been an inspiration in this space. And I think watching the journey of celebrities, someone like Reese Witherspoon, who purchased her first NFT, was public about it. And then was responsive to the community that she had bought into having access to her. And the last one I will mention, just because I really look up to this founder, Lisa Mayer, who is the founder of Boss Beauties. I have been in awe of her leadership. And I think what she's built and building with Boss Beauties, I hold those and I hold those for the long term. I'm really compelled by her roadmap. But also there was a time when, unfortunately, a scammer or a bot got into their Discord channel and some of the wallets were compromised and some of the women in the community had some funding stolen from them. This is the challenge of decentralization of Web3. It's not like, oh, my Amex got stolen and I can call Amex. No, actually, there is no central house. There's no insurance to pay this back. So Lisa was in a tough choice. What do I do? And ended up being able to refund the funding that was stolen from those folks. And she was also really vulnerable and really public about that decision and what that
0: experience was like for her. And so just really look up to her. Oh, I hadn't heard that story. And I mean, generally, I thought this was a buyer's beware type of market. So that level of accountability is amazing. That must have been so difficult for her and to your point, you know, to be open and to be vulnerable. So she sounds fantastic. The other podcast I host called Growth from Failure, I wanted to steal one question that I usually ask my guests there because I just love the the richness and the thoughtful answers that I've been listening to. But for you, it's clear that you've had such success in community and in education and access. But I'd love to hear directly from you. What does success mean for you? Oh, this is a great question. What success means to me, I think ever since I was
1: a kid, I wanted to do something that felt like I'm making a positive impact in this world. The moments when the light bulb goes off for someone and what was intangible idea in their brain becomes very clear. I think that definitely feels like success. The moments when the things I believed were a good bet end up rising a lot. And folks, you know, were along that journey with me and we're celebrating that feels like success. Success is also just women feeling like we belong here and we have a seat at this table. We have a voice. We don't need to ask permission. We actually can just be here. That is, I think, the real metric of success and the thing that drives me.
0: That's so clear. And I mean, this is an audio podcast, but your energy is so evident watching you speak about this when we're doing this over Zoom. Now, right now, you are the vice president for community and education at MetaGood. Can you share with folks more about that?
1: MetaGood is a NFT for social good company. We are a for-profit company, and yet we are able to think about our profits with a triple bottom line and make sure that we are doing social good along the way. So right now, MetaGood as a whole has one main product, which is called On-Chain Monkeys. That's our NFT community. And the On-Chain Monkeys are a very historic collection. That's the first collection that was minted on the blockchain in one transaction. We have three founders of the project, and they're truly crypto OGs. You have Bill Tai, who is a very prolific investor out of Silicon Valley, who has more than 20 IPOs in his portfolio. You have Amanda Terry, who's been at the executive level in a lot of Web2 companies. She's founded and had four of her startups be acquired or sold. So, And then we have Danny Yang, who is our technologist, who... Actually, when he was at Stanford in 2012, he's the one who started the Bitcoin meetup. So many of the whales today, their first learning moment was through this Bitcoin meetup with Danny Yang. And Danny was actually been working in the blockchain space for a long time in his career and was giving himself a bit of a challenge of what would it look like to create one of these PFP NFT projects and do it in one transaction. So he did that and then gave them away for free. These were a free claim to folks who had heard about it, which was kind of within their network. And now here we are a few months later, this collection launched in September and we have a three ETH floor. So what Metagood has been able to do is create value through that NFT for the holders And also create social value. So we've taken funding and backed different social good projects. And they've been across the gamut. So one of the things we did, there is that iconic image that we may know of called Afghan girl, the woman's face, her name is Sharbat Gula, and she was stuck in Afghanistan and needed to be rescued. And we paid to safely get her out of Afghanistan into Italy that was one of the things we've done. We've helped restore coral reefs in the Bahamas. We partnered with a metaverse gaming company and raised funds to go to folks who had been displaced in the Philippines after a really catastrophic hurricane. Through these different partnerships impacted social good, while also through that NFT collection and that historic first on-chain monkey have created value for the shareholders or the holders of the NFT, so I think what's great about this group is that again we are becoming a case study for what others can follow in the future by engaging with a community,
0: creating value for them, and doing good in this world. Oh, that's I'm so glad I asked. That's unbelievable. For me, so when you think about the space, you don't necessarily think about all the good, right? You think about volatility, wealth creation, the markets, but you don't think about that social good. So I'm glad that you shared that about Metagood. Now, what is next for Michelle Abs? So much is on the docket. One of the things that is coming up
1: very soon, which I'm very excited about, we are launching an NFT collection for Web3 Equity. We're very excited locally in Miami to have the support of our mayor. Mayor Francis Suarez, as well as our county mayor, Danielle levine have been very welcoming to the tech community. And Mayor Suarez had actually said, I'd like to support onboarding more women into Web3 and the NFTs, and I'd like to help back you creating an NFT project. We decided to do that during Women's History Month as an ode to the mother of Miami, So Miami is the only major U.S. city that was founded by a woman. So Julia Tuttle is our matriarch, and we will be launching the Tuttle Tribe. So this is a collection of 3,050, because we had to work the 305 in there for Miami, 3,050 NFTs that embody this shattering glass ceilings aspect that Julia Tuttle displayed for us. And they embody this ethos of creating equity and equity in Web3. We're really excited to launch that. That will come along with the utility of access to these in-person learning events. We hope that we see a really strong community become part of that. And then they will continue to get to vocalize to us what they need, and we'll be able to match their needs with that learning experience. So that's one big thing on the docket. And then I am planning a conference again for that Web3 blockchain community during the Art Basel time in Miami. We'll be doing that with on-chain Monkey and our greater investor community, the folks that really believe in that social good, as well as the power of blockchain technology. So that will be coming on Tuesday, November 29th, which feels so far away and yet is like tomorrow. Excited to get that on people's calendars and get them excited book their flights down to Miami for that event, too.
0: Amazing. Well, blockchain seems to move at lightning speed, so I'm sure it'll happen tomorrow before we know it. Michelle, thank you so much for joining. I learned a ton and had a blast in this conversation.
1: Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the honor of including me among the game changers.